that everyone's seen a Marvel movie by now. Sure. Like, I don't want to be that meme guy. I want people to actually appreciate what's happening, to, to engage the material for the sake of engaging the material. And to appreciate the stories that are being told within the material rather than just finding the Jesus in it. Welcome to the Nerds of Prey. We are bridging the gap between faith and fandom by introducing you to the leading folks on the front lines of nerd ministry. These are the people I have met as I plan a church for nerds, geeks, and gamers. I found them, so you don't have to. Folks, welcome. I am Nerd Pastor Nate, and this is a Checkpoint Church podcast that is dropping every three weeks. Each episode of the podcast will feature someone at the intersection of faith and fandom. We'll then sit down with them and learn more about their story. How did they first discover that God is in pop culture, and where do they see things going from here? Folks, our guest for today is a real treat. We are going to be hearing from Mike Perna of Inroads Ministries. I met Mike through Love Thy Nerd and have found that he knows pretty much everybody that I keep meeting. He is the most ubiquitous character, just like Derek White. Just everybody keeps coming up, knows everyone, knows the history, has been in it for the longest. Mike went to school to be a preacher, and according to his website, while he has served in churches before, it became clear over time that God had a different idea for his ministry, something outside of traditional church walls. So these days, Mike leads gaming events, speaks at retreats and conferences, and generally acts as a proponent for the power of the gaming table. He says he is blessed with a loving wife who puts up with him as he pursues the life of sharing God with gamers. Inroads Ministries is constantly exploring new options and developing on an individual and organizational level. They say that their ministry currently functions in the following capacities. Articles, podcasts, blogs, the Tavern Facebook community, outreach, con presence, charity events, and so, so much more. In this podcast, we're going to get into the importance of theology of play and the important work of nerd ministry. With that, let's get into the show. Here is our latest Nerd of Prey, Mike Perna from Inroads Ministries. Uh, welcome, Mike. We are so glad that you are here, here on uh, Inroads Ministries on behalf of them and on the awesome stuff that y'all do. You are everywhere. You are ubiquitous in the nerd sphere. Um, but nevertheless, uh, I want to give you a moment to introduce yourself for any out there who might not know your name yet. Um, maybe they just <laughs> haven't uh, dug very far. That's the reason they haven't found it yet. But who are you? And then where are you currently, both physically and on social media? Where where are you out there? Well, I'm I'm currently, uh, it's fun. My family and I moved out here to Western Pennsylvania right before everything went on lockdown. Oh, great. It's been an interesting experience there. Uh, on the internet, I am found at inroadsministries.com. That's uh, inroads with two N's, because if you've ever played a role-playing game in your existence, whether that's video games or pen and paper, you know that eventually you have to go to the inn, you find the mysterious stranger sitting next to the fire, and you get a quest from them. We, you know, way back in the day, we decided, like, let's lean heavily into this trope, because the tavern is a place, not only is it a place where that happens in games, but just really kind of leaning into an illustration that Chuck Swindoll put out there that said in a lot of ways, in a lot of the practical day-to-day -day ways, the local church should function a lot like the local bar mm. in that there's, there's people who are excited to see you there. You are known there. Uh, you have a place to sit. That's your place that, and people are excited that you're there. You, you talk about your life, you share your existence, you share your struggles, you share the happy times. So in a lot of ways, in, in that aspect, it shares a lot with the local tavern. And so we're like, so yeah, on a couple levels, let, let's lean into this. So that's why it's inroadsministries.com. Gotcha. And who are you specifically within this context? Me? 
<laughs> I am <laughs> I am the president of Inroads Ministries for for our detriment for a lot of <laughs> a lot of people I am Inroads but that is I want to be very clear every time I talk about this stuff uh, I am not Inroads I I am part of a board and there are a lot of great guys I just happen to be the loud crazy one so that's that's why people associate the ministry with me we have a lot of great people both officially on our board and behind the scenes doing other stuff that uh, really make it happen. But yeah, I am the president of the ministry. Something that I've learned as I've done a couple of these now is that everybody kind of answers that they're a melting pot here, but yes. for, for the best as we can, what, if you had to, you know, get it all down to the true essence of Mike, what flavor uh, of nerd would you describe yourself as? What is your, what is your true big passion? If you want to, if you want to name one thing, cause you're right. I am an Omni nerd. I am, I have my, my feet in everything. I, if you want to name, if you want to nail it to one thing specifically, I, I am a gamer. There's no, there's no doubt about it. I play, I don't play video games as much as I used to because I'm over 40 and have a toddler. <laughs> so my ability to sit down for any long stretch of time and play a video game is near non-existent, but I, I always, board games have been a part of my life since very early on. They have been a passion of mine probably for gosh, how long has it been now? Probably about 20 years. I've been playing role-playing games since I was 16. Uh, I've, I've had a lot of really good memories with that. I, if, if you, if you want me to nail one, it's gotta be that. Gotta be gaming. So let, let's go back to some of the origin story there then. Where, where did it all first begin back there with that first game that you held in your hand or that first console or whatever it was, where did this nerd journey get started for you? Oh, you want to go way back. Um, mm -hmm. see what, to some degree, games have always been a part of my existence because I grew up before a lot of the electronic stuff happened. Like, I actually have memories of when my dad went out to a trade show in Chicago and came back with one of the first Nintendo Entertainment Systems you could get wow. in the country. Because they weren't, they weren't popular yet. They were just coming in. So, like, I remember that. So, I lived in an age before you had, like, put the kids in front of the game and just let them sit. <laughs> Um, so I would play things like Spoons and Monopoly and Parcheesi and all the stuff that parents would play with their kids. I have yet to play an actual game of Mousetrap, but I used to put it together and let it run like crazy. Um, if you want to talk about how I got to the nerd level of gaming, it'd be a little bit older, but not much. Because while other parents <laughs> were continuing to get things like card games and Monopoly, different versions of Monopoly for their kids. My dad went out and got things like Hero Quest, Dark World, Battle Masters. Battle Masters being a board so big, we couldn't fit it on our dining room table. We had to put it on a ping pong table. <laughs> oh, yikes. Because it was the only table big enough to, to hold this mat. And uh, we, my brother and I would, you know, march our armies against each other on Battle Masters. So, like... I have been playing nerd stuff for a long, long time, and it's always been uh, a part of my life. I would say that what really brought it to the level it is now, the start of that, because like when you're a kid, you play all sorts of stuff, but then you kind of get out of it and you explore different things. So there was a good stretch where I wasn't really into board games. I definitely wasn't into role-playing games, but oddly enough, it was in seminary that board games really came in again in gangbusters because we were there a uh, bunch of you know guys in their early 20s in a dorm and every summer 
they would have the PhD students who would only, I mean, the PhDers, they were, you know, grown men with families and everything. They'd roll in for a couple of weeks, take their class and go. And so there was one guy who would show up and he's like, I'm going to be in a dorm with a bunch of 20 year olds. How am I going to survive? <laughs> and so he would bring a game with him. So the first one he brought was a little card game called Ivanhoe. I don't have Ivanhoe. It's, it's one of my, what they call a grail game, because that, that game has a special place. It's literally the game that inter introduced me to the fact that games are not like the roll and move time wasters, let's just call it what it is, yeah. that I played when I was a kid. And so like he, we played that. And we're like, this is so interesting. This is, I, I love what's happening here. It, Ivanhoe is basically a card game where you're playing as knights in a tournament. And it's, it's a trick-taking game. So it's basically you have to pick the highest value number of a certain suits. It was a, a jouster, a, a, a sword fighter. There was some, I think there was something else too. But there, then there was also like, it wasn't just simply that either. There was things like if you played this card, you could unhorse the knight and he'd become just a footman again. And so your horse would then overtake him and stuff. like. There was all sorts of crazy stuff. And then the, he went away and we all got real sad because we didn't have games anymore. Right. So then he came back the next year and we're like, did you bring something? <laughs> and he said, yes, I have a game called Settlers of Catan. Oh, there you go. And like everyone ever of a certain age, Settlers of Catan is what got me into games. We literally pulled him aside uh, and said... So, so you keep bringing these strange, wonderful talismans of awesome into our building. How do we obtain these things for ourselves? And he introduced us to the wonderful thing about online game stores. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, then literally it was just a bunch of guys. We all picked one. Uh, we had things like Catan and Princes of Florence. Like people were just, just going through that site and just picking one. And each one of us would get one. We played Catan so much that I literally had somebody replace my copy because we wore it out. Wow. We, we literally could not play our copy anymore. So it's, it's really interesting to me. You've touched on, you know, I think all of us that are gamers out there probably have that like milestone moment where we were at the perfect place at the perfect time with the perfect people that we got into gaming. Uh, yep. but it's interesting that yours was seminary. It's interesting that Mine yours was, 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 was a, was a, you know, Christian area. Maybe some of us might've been in youth group at church or stuff like that, but others of us totally outside the church might never have had that experience. So do you think it was then that you might've really understood that there was a correlation between faith and fandom? Uh, had you not realized it yet? Or did you already kind of know that there was, Hey, there's something happening here that's spiritual. I kind of knew, um, I would say that it wasn't fully formed. Yeah. I kind of knew mostly because I have always been from the very moment I came to faith, there, there's always been teachers who, who took me aside and said, faith isn't just what you do in church. Yeah. Faith isn't just what you do in youth group or in certain contexts. God is everywhere. Your relationship with him should be a part of your existence, regardless of where you are. And so I always kind of had this understanding, like, God, if he's everywhere, he should be here too. And so it was always kind of just the underpinning there. I would definitely say, I can't point to like a moment, 
There wasn't like a revelation that said, ah, this is important. It was more just like the slow burn of, okay, God's here. Okay, look at this thing that's happening. Look at what God's doing with this. Whether I was was in for the ride or not, God was doing crazy, awesome things through these moments. And then I kind of caught on and said, hey, can I do? Can I be a part of this too, God? And he said, yes. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk more about that. What, what did that look like, that, that permission and deciding to actually do this thing and commit to this? You know, was it inroads? Was it something else? What did it look like day one? It's, it started off with the podcast, which sadly is currently under, it's not gone. We, we have not pod faded. We, we are not giving, we are not going gentle into that dark night. Our flagship podcast, because of the fact that there's COVID and all this stuff and trying to organize people and trying to have something to talk about because our format before was just like, these are the games we're playing and right. neither of us are really able to play many games right now. Right. Um, so it's kind of on, you know, COVID hiatus, but it was called Game Store Profits. And it oddly enough started when I went on, on my buddy's podcast where they were talking about books and uh, my friend knew that I was really into steampunk fiction. And so he was like, we're going to talk about that. Come on and talk books. Well, the other host, we started talking about games and stuff and he goes, you know, we should really do a podcast about games and God. And I go, man, I don't have the time for this. I, I, I have so much going on. And this was even before, you know, I got married, before I had my kid, but I already had enough going on. And uh, oddly enough, I went to an event called the Steampunk World's Fair, which is, an, it, was an, it was an amazing event. They, they've since stopped doing it, which is sad, but um, it's just this whole big convention of people, of musicians and artists and cosplayers and just doing steampunky things. And the, that year... It happened that it was one of those times when I forget which one, because sadly there's been many it was one of those times when somebody got on a microphone and said, this is the weekend that Jesus is coming back. Hmm. And he did it on a loud enough microphone that even people who had never been to church in their life knew that this dude was saying Jesus was coming back. And so everybody at the convention was cracking jokes about that. This is the weekend that Jesus is coming back. Don't do that. Jesus will see you. You know, you, you don't want to be doing this. I have been around people who make those jokes for so long that it kind of ran off my back like water off a duck's back. Sure. Not everybody was like that. And so a, a friend of a friend came up to me and she was really like hurt, like crying. And she's just like, hey, you know, I know you, you do ministry stuff. Can we pray? Hmm. And I'm like, yeah. And we walked out to the, the parking lot. So it was because it was the only place that was quiet. And she, she talked to me about the fact that she goes, she goes, I never feel like I have a home. I can't be all of me because when I come to events like this, the fact that I'm a Christian makes me feel weird hmm. because all these people are like, all these people are cracking these jokes and like it, it, it's not okay. But then when I'm at church, and I talk about this nerdy stuff. Well, they look at me weird too. So I can't be all of me there either. And I realized that she wasn't the only person who felt that way. That, that in fact, I had felt that way before too, but yeah. I never put words to it. Literally that night after I went home, I, I messaged this guy, Luke, 
And I said, we're doing this podcast. I'm finding the time. We're doing this podcast because there needs to be space where people can realize that they're not the only one who likes both these things that want to desperately follow Jesus, want to, to know who he is and draw closer to him. And also like this nerdy stuff. Like these are right. not separate things. And so we started off with a podcast and we did that for a while and we got, it, it's, it's the podcasting world is weird. Sure. Like it was just the two of us. Just, we, we went in saying, we're going to do this just to have fun. And if, if people listen, they listen. And before we knew it, we were getting, you know, messages from game designers in Germany saying, I listen to you on the way to work. And I, <laughs> I, I, you know, it's, it's made me want to go back to church. I'm like, wait, wait, what? So after doing that for a while, we're both, we both sat down and go, I think we're supposed to do something with this. Like this is supposed to be more than just this podcast. Uh, Luke eventually decided that, that it wasn't for him anymore, but I, we picked up some other guys, uh, and really started leaning into doing this as a ministry. Like we still do content. That's still a, a big portion of what we do, but there's a lot of people who make content. We make content mostly because the, the, the phrase that I've kind of adapted and, and it's kind of filtered through the rest of the guys is that there will, if, if you look out into the world of ministry, there will always be somebody who's doing a better job at reaching people than you are, hmm. but no one will reach the people you reach better than you do. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's kind of where we are content wise. Like we're like, like, we're net we're super niche like if we if we wanted to get popular we could blow it out and do, cover more areas people ask us all the time do you cover video games we're like no there's plenty of people who do that already we don't want to be just another voice in the wind we're going to stick with board games and role playing games the way i described it in actually in one of the episodes of my devotional podcast is like i don't mind being the other guy i don't mind there are times when i wish that you know uh i had the resources to not be just the other guy but I, I really don't because this is where, where God has, has had us and God has done some really cool stuff. Like I have a, a growing file of stories that people have sent me about how the ways that our ministry has touched them. And it, that you, you can't take that away. Like that's, it's a beautiful thing. And I'm super glad that we get to do it. I'm glad that we get to bring people to tables and we're, we're a weird duck because like people will talk about being uh, ecumenical organizations sweet lord um <laughs> we're about as ecumenical as you can get uh i've often said that if you it, you know i can't say we have a representative of every denomination because there's like a thousand of them right but if you if, if you sat down to write down denominations like the ones that come to your mind i'm pretty sure we've got at least somebody who reference who who is part of that community that also doesn't include the people who hang out with us who have no faith whatsoever right? Uh, or who have other faiths who are just part of our community because they played with us and we told them, Hey, we're a cool place to be on the internet. Yeah. We talk about Jesus, but we're just cool people and you're totally welcome to come in and hang with us. And they do. It's been a fun road. Yeah. An inroad, an inroad, an inroad. Ha -ha. <laughs> so, uh, you know, thinking along this, this journey. So when, when did all this very first begin? What year was it? On the books, it was 2015, go a year before that when we started planning it, 2014. So over, over seven years, you know, feasibly, what, what are some like major milestones, like some forks in the road, some things that you might have seen, uh, you know, things that either really shaped who you are today 
uh, you know, just the right people at the right time, kind of like we talked about with the seminary stuff. Yeah. Can you think of anything that really stands up about those moments along the way? I can cite some things, but uh, a lot of them are more quiet just between the people who sent the stories to me. So it's not like I'm not sure. putting somebody's story yeah. out in the street. Um, if you're looking for ones that I can share, things that, that really uh, made us who we are, some of it has just been the fun aspect of it. It's just the, the there are game designers who know who we are. There are publishers yeah. who look for us. There are people who are designing Christian games who, who know to talk to us because we can both provide them with playtesters, first of all, but also with, you know, some insight into the industry, what works, what doesn't. Like, that, that stuff's fun. I like doing that. I like, yeah. But oddly enough, I think one thing that kind of at least to where we are now, who knows where we'll be in the future. Like you make plans, but then plans change. You know, hi COVID. I think a lot of it had to do with something that I ended up doing on a whim. It was just something silly that I wanted to do at a convention. And it had such an impact on literally everyone who participated in it that I did it again and I will continue to do it. And it's actually kind of, it's kind of become part of our brand. Now I decided to make a very long story short, uh, dwarf bards are a thing for us. And partly that's because they're a thing for me. Uh, when I, the first role-playing game we played as a ministry was in Pathfinder. I'd never played Pathfinder before. I heard of it, but I never played it. So I'm like, okay, I want to play a bard because bards get to do a little bit of everything. And if I want yeah. to try a system, why not try with somebody who does a little bit of everything? And I wanted to be a dwarf because... I've loved dwarves ever since I read The Hobbit. So, <laughs> so you know, I wanted to be a dwarf. So I looked up a, a character guide, and they said, this is, how, this is great for a human bard. This is an elf bard, like a gnome bard. Dwarf bard, don't do it. <laughs> the stats mean nothing to a bard. There's literally no reason to do a dwarf bard. Why bother? I said, that person is... Well, frankly, boring and uncreative. Let's let's find another guide and see what they have to say. Same thing. All the other races. These are the great ways to be a bard in this range. Dwarf, don't do it. Stats don't mean a thing. It doesn't. It, there's no reason to do this. So after a while, it became personal, <laughs> and it actually ended up being that that character's story was affected by the fact that no one thought that dwarfs could be bards. That there was no value in them. Hmm that whole character came around the idea of no one should ever think that just because of who you are, you are less valuable than somebody else Yeah, became a huge part of what we end up doing. Like the, the phrase is don't let anybody call you suboptimal. And, Cause that's a phrase that I got. I saw a lot in those player guides. This is a suboptimal choice. Yeah. And I'm like, don't let anybody call you suboptimal. Pax Unplugged was the first year I did the first full trip we did to Bax Unplugged. Um, I decided that I was going to dress up like my dwarf bard and I was just going to walk around the game hall and the dealer hall with a sign that said uh, dwarf bard looking for stories for the archive. Uh, tell us your story and get a button. And I had made up all these little buttons and it had a brief version of the dwarf bard story on it and said that you know don't let anyone call you suboptimal you are you are your story is worth telling Our, the greater story is worth is better off because your story is a part of it hmm. 
at first it was just going to be a silly thing I did on a Saturday just because it was, you know, something fun to do. Uh, I had my, uh, a buddy of mine who it was fun because that year I had introduced him to game, you know, <laughs> game conventions at all. He'd never been to one. And so he was already kind of wide eyed and he basically kind of just came along with me and I called him my swag Sherpa because his job was to give out stickers and buttons and stuff. And, but what, what we discovered was, was that some people were just, some people are just like me. They're big hams. Yeah. And they, they just wanted to talk about whatever. Cause I literally said, I'll take any story, including what you had for breakfast. Like, I don't sure. care. I just want a story, but there are always people who kind of just shied back mm. and said, I don't really have a story. And I never made anyone to like, if somebody really honestly was like, I really don't want to do this. I never made somebody cause that nobody wants that. That's just awkward. That ruins the whole moment. But I would kind of like feel the, feel the room as it were. And kind of be like, come on, come on. There was the, this, the, there's one story that I'll tell that I always, often tell about the experience that is kind of the epitome of what we saw all day. We went down the line. It was a whole group of friends and there's like five of them. And each one of them told me a story until the last person. And she pulled the line. She said, she says, I don't really have a story. And I said, I, I, I of course I had the, the terrible, it's not even Scottish. It's, it's bad dwarf. <laughs> and it's like, Oh, come on. I'm not going to give your friends a bunch of stuff and not give you. That's no good. We don't need that to happen. I said, give us a story. Anything, anything at all. Just the first thing that comes to your head. She paused for a second and she goes, so I was trying out for Olympic show jumping and I didn't, you know, the horse they gave me wasn't that great. And so when I, I did my first jump, he ended up getting stuck and I, I was shocked and I'm like, see, you were, you were training for the Olympics. <laughs> you were good enough to get to the trials for the Olympics in show jumping. That's a story. Absolutely. I don't have it. And I'm like, I'm like, like, I like, how do you not think trying out for the Olympics is a story worth telling? And that's the thing though. A lot of us don't think like it's just our life. It's just what we do in a way. I, I realized what probably happened. She got stuck. She didn't go to the Olympics. The story in her mind was not a victory. And so since it wasn't a victory, it wasn't worth telling. Hmm. That's, that's kind of how it's become our thing. Like we are all about sto the story business because every one of us is a storyteller. It's literally one of the designs I just made for our for stickers that we give out now. It just says we are storytellers. All of us are. You know, depending on, you know, you can be happy with the story you're telling or not, but you're still telling it. That's kind of, it's kind of taken over things for a, a good bit. When it comes to the games that we play with people, we, we often say that you can make friends out of strangers by playing together because you're creating common history. You can cut through a lot of the, you know, the fluff and nonsense of getting to know somebody because we don't have to do small talk. We can just talk about the fact that that one time you pulled that perfect card at the perfect moment to win us the game. And so that, that's, that's about sharing the stories together. Role-playing games are, it's literally just communal storytelling. Like that's what it is. Everything in our existence is telling stories and we just need a space to tell them together.
Yeah. So there is, um, there's this quote by Seth Godin and, uh, you know, tribalism is something to be avoided, obviously, but his idea of tribes is this quote that people like us do things like these. And, uh, and that's how people relate to one another. They tell stories to one another. And I feel like that's the vibe I've really gotten from your ministry and your call, uh, is that you are really gifted. Your team is really gifted, um, at letting people become a we, at letting yeah. people become storytellers together uh, and inviting them into that space. And one of the ways that I've seen that, when it, so whenever I first um, discovered Inroads was with uh, LTNCon uh, last yeah. year. Yeah, I had and fun I got to that. I got to meet the Dwarf Bard. So yeah, so we've, we've yeah. met before. Oh, that's right. I did a whole session <laughs> or half a session as him, didn't I? Yes, so that was great. But that kind of collaborative effort um, of inroads telling the stories and allowing people to come in and coming into spaces like LTN, but then also being a space like that, where uh, I know I don't think I think they've ended the podcast now, but I know you that you were big proponents of saving the game. Um, and- yes, I, I still am. Those people are all awesome. It's sad. It, when they said they were going to close down, I talked with a whole bunch of them and I said, I said, look, I, I, I'm not happy that you're stopping, but yeah. I completely understand because it's a combination of just life being life. I mean, as a guy who, again, just said that our flagship podcast has been on an extended hiatus because yeah. of this nonsense, like I get it, but yeah, th- they are all wonderful people. And if you get a chance to go to a convention and see any of them do that because they're awesome. Yes. So they're great. And, uh, you know, really interesting. I listened to their backlog and have been through it and been through min max. And I know, um, you were involved with them some as well. And with that geekdom come that just came out. And so you are just, you're an awesome collaborator. You're really good at that. And, and, and inroads is really good at that as well. I know you don't want me to minimize the team because y'all are a part of this thing together. Uh, and that's something that seems so important. So as someone who is in this world, who has done this, how do you inhabit that kind of healthy collaboration? How do you enter into spaces where you let people tell their stories? I think our temptation is often to kind of demand the presence ourselves uh, and mm-hmm. to be seeking it out for ourselves. So how do you practice that as an, as a, as an act of openness? Oddly enough, it is it, the short answer, the short, you know, <laughs> not fulfilling answer is humility because anybody will say that. But it is, it really is. It all comes down to that. You have to be willing to realize that um, we are all in this together. That, yeah, you might be talented. Yeah, you might have knowledge. But there are other people with talent and knowledge, too. Your platform has plenty of room for all of them. I, I, I love giving up my spot. I wish I could do it more. Mm. I, the, I, I've often said that... Uh, the fact that when people, a lot of people think of inroads, they think of me, it's to the detriment of the ministry. Um, I don't, I don't ever want it to be a personality driven thing. Again, it's mostly just because I just know myself and I am, I, I, if, if I let myself full out, I am a force to be reckoned with. I, I own a room. Yeah. It's just who I am. God has so many people doing so many good things and Everybody who listens to us deserves to hear them. Like they deserve to hear from all these amazing people. Not everybody has the ability to watch every YouTube video or listen to every podcast. So a lot of people just for the the lack of time in their day will not get to hear from these people. And that's a travesty. Mm. And, and so, yeah, I have no problem just being like, like, you are awesome. I have, I, I'm telling you that you're awesome. I'm going to celebrate that you're awesome. Please come on my thing. 
my devotional podcast is called the Barden Bible. And it's the weirdest Christian devotional you're ever going to hear. <laughs> but one of the things that I established was, is that I wanted, I, I don't do it all the time, but every once in a while I'll take a break and I'll get like three or four people that I know and trust to be in that space. And I've created what's called the wandering bards guild where I disappear. This, this podcast is my baby in the fiction of the framing device. It's my tavern. I will gladly just walk away from it for a little bit and, and let somebody else be a part of it. And it's been really fun to see how other people do what I do because they don't do it the way I do. Hmm. So not only is it for the audience, it's also for me too, because like I become better by listening to them. I become better because I get to see what they're doing and maybe I take some things and maybe I don't. And maybe, maybe I just celebrate and, and just enjoy it myself. I'm, I'm allowed to enjoy the things that other people are creating, even if they're creating them for me. A lot of it is also just trusting God. Hmm. I'm actually, uh, in that podcast, I'm actually working through my, the patrons on my Patreon, uh, where, you know, I, I, I make fun of them a little bit for this. I, I, I don't make fun of them. I poke fun because I said, I want to go story by story through a book of the Bible and do this podcast. What book should I do? And they're like, Genesis. I'm like, why? <laughs> it's going to be on this for years, guys. Right. What are you talking about? Um, but I'm very glad they did because it's it's been interesting to just see how it all comes together. Bringing this story element because I'm doing it with a very story-based hermeneutic. I'm not, I'm not doing, you know, verse by verse. I'm not going into the Greek unless I have to, to understand the story. Like I'm literally just letting the story be the story. I'm treating characters like they're characters rather than hunting for application. Yeah. And I'm doing Genesis 13. And in a lot of ways, Genesis 13 is a transition chapter. You have Abram and Lot coming from where they were in Egypt to where they started. And then we're, we're moving towards the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the second half of chapter 13 is talking about, yeah, lot went over there. Sodom and Gomorrah had not been destroyed yet. Sodom is terrible. Da 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 da. Let's set up for the fact that now we're going to Sodom and Gomorrah in a lot of ways. It's just transition. So I applied my story hermeneutic to, it and I go, what's everybody want here? Hmm. The easy one is, is, is lot. Lot goes, hey, look at that lovely, awesome land that the texts point out is kind of like Egypt. Like it's the lushness that he saw in Egypt. I mm. want that part. I want all of that part. You can have the rest of this dust and nonsense. I want that part. He's easy. He's the application that everybody stops at. I, I looked at Abram. I'm like, what does Abram want here? And I'm like, he could have pulled the card that said, God gave me this. This is mine, but he didn't. He could have pulled, my dude, you are my brother's son. I'm over you. Hmm. He didn't. What he did was say, go ahead, you pick first. And what I realized was, was that Abram, after experiencing that time in Egypt where God literally said, no, seriously, I'm worth following. When I promise you a thing, I, I make a thing happen. He's back here now in the place where God told him that was going to happen. 
And he's just trusting God. He trusts God to give him what God wants to give him. And so whether Lot takes that or not, if God wants Abram to have it, God, Abram will eventually have it. He doesn't need to grab it. He doesn't need to take it now. God is who he says he is, and God will give him what he told him he, he's going to give him. There are times when it's funny because I've often said that I try to be consistent time-wise because, you know, good podcasting, you have to be consistent. Right. But life is what life is. And so every once in a while, there has been stretches where, you know, a handful of weeks and even, even in the worst times, even months have gone by between episodes. And what I've discovered is, is that every time that's happened, it's basically God saying, I want you to not do content. I want you to have a minute here with me. And it's proven true with Genesis 13. I sat down and I tried to do content with this and it didn't work. I wasn't happy with it. It's because I was focusing on other things besides this element of God is just with Abram and he's shown Abram exactly who he is and Abram trusts him. And so he doesn't need to fight for space. He knows that God will give him exactly what God means to give him. You apply that to ministry, as I'm always a big fan of stories are different than applications. Stories have applications, but an application is not necessarily a story. Right. And so the the application that I did pull away from the story was just, just that. I don't need to grab space. I don't need to grab attention. I don't need to grab platform. If God is who he says he is, and God has said that he wants us to be doing this, who cares if I'm up front? If, if I'm supposed to be in this place, if I'm supposed to be leading this organization, it doesn't matter who's talking. God will do something there. And so th I think that's what it just comes down to. It's, it's realizing that in the end of this, it's all God. It is all God. And yeah, you can make smart moves, but it's still all God. So I can either follow him and maybe have a smaller platform and maybe not as many people know who I am, but they know all these other people who I, I love and I trust and who are doing awesome things or, or I can not. And yeah, I might have a, a blip where more people know who I am or, or, uh, more money comes into inroads, but I, that fades if it's not with God. So a theology of collaboration and a, and a narrative theology and all these wonderful things. So a, a theology that inroads specifically, you know, names and espouses is a theology of play. Yes. Uh, and I love that. I think that's such a fun one. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways that we take that. Often we use it with like kids ministry and things like that, but it's certainly not um, limited no. in any to, means. To limit play to children is to limit play in a way that shouldn't. Absolutely. It, 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 it's, it's a false uh, barrier. Yeah, because I think it's, it's when, when, all of us when we, we set up totally unfairly uh, against ourselves because we all really love to play. It's the reason that we stay so you know interested in, in the acts of that, and it's the reason why we want to go back and revert to our childlike selves is because play is fun and play is interesting and draws us in and tells good stories. So tell us more uh, about this theology of play and maybe where – where you decided that that was going to be kind of a hallmark of inroads, uh, you know, kind of going back to those origin days of, of seminary, they're playing amongst those people. Well, I, I think there's a handful of different things that can be brought up in that. 
part of it is just well I'll, I'll say that it kind of developed from this but it's also it's one of those things like we codified it later it was always there but we codified it later it's the idea that play brings us together like nothing nothing else does yeah play has the ability to uh diminish any barrier that we put in the the manufactured ones that we put between each other if if you start playing and i've seen this at, at conventions especially because you don't know these people from adam the mm -hmm. people that you're sitting at this table with uh whether you're at a demo table or you are putting up a flag that says we're looking for players you've never met these people before i know for me every time i've i've been at a table like that and like, like yeah we're not like super good besties after that game i'll demo a game on day one with people and i'll see those people the rest of the con and every time i see them i say hi and if we're, we're kind of passing and you know meandering and not like purposely going somewhere we'll say what are you playing how's it going you having a good con like we'll, we'll have those chats because we have that moment and it's beautiful and and really at the end of the day we just want to play. Like, I think that I, I, I've often said, uh, I, I'm, I'm still waiting to see if I'm going to end up making a design of this because I've often said it, uh, even if I just do it for myself, I might do it. My nemesis is the Protestant work ethic. <laughs> because what that says is if it's not productive, right, it's not valuable. And I don't see that in life. I don't see that in scripture because a lot of it is just, they're hanging out. If you really think about it, even the times that bust out into sermons, it's Jesus and his boys are there. A lot of people find out Jesus and his boys are there. Jesus ends up saying a sermon because, well, all these people showed up to hear him say something. Mm -hmm. There's, all sorts of stuff that happens in between in, in between the moments that show up in the recording of scripture, there's all sorts of conversations that happen, all sorts of, and I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's gotta be play. They gotta have fun together because none of these people would have kept sticking around if they didn't at least kind of like each other. Mm -hmm. If you think that Matthew, the tax collector and Simon the Zealot are cool besties just because they both think Jesus is a good teacher. Let me tell you about the way people interact with each other. <laughs> right, right. It doesn't take long around a D&D &D table to know that's not the case. Right. Like, there's got to be more to this existence than just the productive stuff. I think it all, break, it, it all breaks down there. I, like, I don't even think I have to say much more. The idea that you can't create a product doesn't mean it's not productive. Hmm. When we play together, we find out stuff about ourselves, about the people that we're playing with. I, I've often seen people, like, when I talk about playing games, they're like, oh, I'm super competitive. I, it's hard for people to play games with me because I get so competitive. And I'm like, why is that? Mm -hmm. And do you think that's okay? And is that maybe something we need to work on? Like, there's competition and then there's, I don't want to be with you because you're competitive. Like a lot of people will say, oh, well, that's just playing. I go, no, that's that's a part of who that person is. Hmm. 
playing is just when they take down the 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 shields they put up to hide that part of themselves. They are revealing themselves in play. A lot of the times we end up thinking and being people that we don't show because we have become practiced at being somebody else for other people. Now, whether that's intentional or not depends person to person, but I promise you we've all done it. There's, there, there's not a one of us that doesn't have something that we don't make super public while we're not like just sharing that stuff willy nilly, it comes out in play. I've learned stuff about myself. Um, I literally had my wife, there's a story that I've shared a couple different places about when I was, when I was playing that character, the dwarf bard in the ministry. And I was saying, um, I was explaining to my wife what was going on and how there was one session. It was a play by post. So it wasn't really like a session. Sure. There was one, there was one combat we had where my guy literally almost died, but he wouldn't stop fighting. The rest of the guys are saying, like, out of character, like, dude, you need to back off, otherwise they're going to get you. And I'm like, he wouldn't. He wouldn't because because of the fact that he he values these people so much. If there is life in him to help them, he will still use that life to to protect them, even if it means he loses it. If he has life in him to run, he has life in him to fight. And if he fights, they might live. And I told her that just talking about, because this is the character and this is a cool story moment. And, and my guy did survive. And he had this cool moment where, you know, because it's play by post, you get to describe it. And I let my, my author, you know, (laughs) I put my author hat on. Right. And I got to explain how, how this guy had, you know, spit the blood and he still had red teeth and he starts laughing and he kicks the guy in the head and he's like he's like he's like you're not getting my friends and i'm explaining to my wife and she starts crying Hmm. and i was like what's what's going on and she said you do that for me all the time you know she's like that's not him that's you and i never thought about that it it's nobody thinks about themselves like that because you know we just don't but she's just bawling because because I this game that I wasn't thinking about, I was just being this character. And in being this character, I embodied something that resonated with her into what I do for her all the time. Yeah. Like, there's a reason why we do this, why we get together and play. It's not... It is... Sometimes it is just to play. Like, people don't put any value in play, and that's silly. Because if you look at rates of of stress and heart disease and depression and all that, a lot of it, not all, but I'm going to say, you know, anecdotally, a lot of it (laughs) is tied by the fact that we're driving each other insane by how much we need to do and do and do and do, you know, pretty much for for somebody else or to impress somebody else or to get something because we see it in somebody else. And like, like we're just driving each other nuts and we just want to play. There is this level of, of profound interaction that we have with the stories, with the characters, with each other, with ourselves that only comes out when we start playing. We, em- we embody this game and we forget to put our barriers up. Yeah. 
And we just be in that moment for good or for ill. Yeah, the the word that keeps coming up for me is this kind of, you know, very much gamer word, game design word, but it is immersion. Uh, yeah. And that we're, we're literally given a character who doesn't have those boundaries. So we aren't right. able to set up those boundaries because we're playing this character, whether we're it's literally on a, on a screen or whether it's in a, in a you know, tabletop. Um, we're given the opportunity to play around within an alternative world that just doesn't exist. And so I think that's, yeah, that's absolutely some powerful stuff. The words that are coming up, you know, immersion and discovery, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a theology of creativity. And yeah. and there, there's great thoughts behind this. And I think that the temptation behind the word play is that it does seem so casual. It does seem so almost sabbatical that we treat it as a Sabbath and we do it on the seventh day without giving ourselves the grace to say, no, this is, this is the work of discovery. This should be done on our working days as well. There is value in this moment. Yes. Yes. Putting it, putting it off and treating it like something other to be done during the minimal, you know, lack of our time. Because, because guess what? Uh, I, I don't know about you, but from my experience and the experience of many other people I've talked to, um, what do we do with Sabbath? We keep putting it off. Absolutely. Because when we don't value it, it becomes the first thing that's easy to stop. Right. Because there's other things that need to be accomplished. We always prioritize those other things and we don't prioritize play. There's lots of things that they go, that is, you know, wrong, <laughs> but really, especially now when we're in this place where, you know, even people who were, you know, gregarious and out with people have experienced a lot of isolation. We need that. We need that space. We need to be together. We need to, to be doing things. We need to, relieve the tension of of all the stuff that we've had to go through whether we acknowledge that that tension's there or not like we need to just get over ourselves for a minute and get, and games let us do that yes yeah i totally agree i think we're on the same wavelength there and it, and it is such a troublesome thing to try and figure out and so you know, I think that's an awesome thing that Inroads is kind of proudly, you know, laying their flag there and making that kind of a hill to die on. That this is a theology of play and this is important and it is theological work. It is something that is being done. And so I think that's I think that's great. Kind of shifting gears as we kind of bring this conversation to a close. I want to know you've been in this for a little while. You've been in it for, for seven or eight years here. You've been mm-hmm. in at least the gaming world uh, for longer than that. What do you think the future looks like? Where are we going five, 10, 20 years? And the way that I have been asking people is if you could dream the future, if you could say what the future is going to look like for this intersection of faith and pop culture or faith and fandom or convention culture or gaming, uh, what do you dream the future to look like for this intersection? So it's not what I think is going to happen, but what I want to see happen. It can be a little of both. Hopefully you want to see what's happening, but if not, what would you do to change it, I guess? Well, if there's one thing that I've been been sitting on a lot, and I've seen people do this well, and I've seen people do this poorly, I don't. what I don't want is just the church to glom on to fandom stuff. Yeah. And just make it a thing and they're not connecting with it at all, but they know that other people connect with it. So they just use the buzzwords 
and they just they 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 have the you know maybe have one person in a costume or you know they 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 do like the, the nostalgia thing see this remember this right you love this <laughs> what i'd love to see happen is just the idea of not manufacturing jesus moments mm. because i think that's where we screw it up when we're we're so desperate to make the connection between these two things that we don't let those two things be each other and just see where they overlap but we're trying to forge this connection of they're the same see because right. i've had way too many conversations with pastors about how you know maybe you don't want to talk about jedi as you know the best example for the christian life because the Jedi are about balance and about, you know, not some things that we, we care about. You know, you talk about absolutes, but only Sith deal in absolutes. Like that's literally a line right. from, it's literally a line from the movie. So when you're espousing absolute truth and you want to do Star Wars, maybe don't do the thing that, that makes you out to be a Sith. But like that, that's the thing that happens. We just appropriate. And when we appropriate, we get everything wrong. We get the message wrong for the 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 sake of of getting butts in seats to hear about, you know, oh, they, they cited my cool thing. I really want there to be just a continued appreciation for these stories. Yeah. To allow them to just be those stories and then be like, but yes, this story is telling this thing that is also something that God has been been telling us. To not force a connection, but appreciate the connections that exist, the overlaps in these two things. You know, that doesn't play well on a t-shirt necessarily, but <laughs> it, it's better for storytelling. Yeah. It's better for really understanding these things because it, it demands that you appreciate the thing you're citing. That you're not just citing it to... the. There's a, a meme that has happened... Uh, with Steve Buscemi. I can't remember what show it was from. I never saw the actual show. But the whole idea is he's supposed to blend in with these kids. So it's right. Steve Buscemi with a hat backwards and a hoodie and a skateboard. And he says, hello, fellow teens. Right. And my concern is, is that we end up being that guy trying to pursue fandom. Especially as some of these fandoms become more, become less, you know, fandom and more overall pop culture right like the fact that everyone's seen a marvel movie by now sure like i don't want to be that meme guy i want people to actually appreciate what's happening to, to engage the material for the sake of engaging the material and to appreciate the stories that are being told within the material rather than just finding the jesus in it mm. Yeah, I think that's really apt. And I think that's what we're dealing with, you know, even outside of the Christian sphere. I think that's what game companies are dealing with and tabletop game companies. You know, all these people are trying to figure out how do we, it's reaching more people than ever. How do we keep our, our foundation rooted in the game uh, and not in the, in the market and not in the capitalist thing behind it? And I imagine there are some Marvel writers out there that are probably like, oh, my story, my story. You know, there, there probably is an element of that in all of it. There is a very practical element of it. They got to make money. Right. 
if you want to keep making more movies, you got to keep making more money to pay your actors, to pay your you know, the film, to pay all the props, to pay all the staff. To, you got to make the money. So there is somebody whose job is to say, this is how we make the money. A lot of times that ends up wrecking the story because there are challenging things that storytellers want to do. But the person who makes the money says, we can't do that. It'll, it'll cost us money. Right. So it is a challenge. It is a struggle because you need to find, I don't want to downplay the value of the guy who finds the money. Right. Because <laughs> if you want to keep going, you got to have somebody who finds yeah. the money. Yeah. Like, I don't want to just be like, that guy's evil. That, you know, it, that can be done in a bad way, but it, it, the, the simple act is not bad. You have to find the balance of how do we engage with as many people as we can, make it as broad and, and approachable to as many people as we can, while still being able to push at edges and, and tell hard stories and, and have rough moments that, that challenge us and make us grow. It is a incredibly hard balance. There, there are games that, that I love, but I won't say they've been failures, but they haven't been as successful as a lot of these other games. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a handful of things that I can guarantee you will get you at least, you know, nominal success, uh, have miniatures, mm -hmm. like really nice miniatures. That'll get your board game scene. Right now, dungeon crawls are pretty, pretty epic. You can pretty, you can do pretty well with that. Like I can enlist off a bunch of different things that are going to get you attention, themes that you can do, and all that. One of the most powerful experiences I've seen in a board game recently is a game that a lot of people haven't heard of, and a lot of people in the gaming world won't play. It's called Holding On: The Tragic Life of Billy Kerr. Hmm. The whole theme of the game is that Billy was on an airplane and had a heart attack. Billy is dying. You, every, all the players, are the hospice nurses taking care of Billy until he's gone. There is no way for Billy not to die. Billy will die at the end of the game. The question is, do you... Do you take care of him long enough that he can share his story with you before mm. he goes. Nobody wants to play that game. <laughs> I, I have tried so many times to play that game. It's sitting on my shelf. No one wants to play that game, hmm. but it's one of those experiences that is just, it's powerful. If you let it be, there are all sorts of different stories. And even, even silly games can have stories can have moments, but like, there's there's all sorts of stuff you don't expect either. Like I moved into an area that until recently was just riddled with gun violence. Hmm. I have a game called Cash and Guns where the entire hmm. mechanic of the game is pointing foam pistols at other players' heads. I don't know when I'm going to get to play that game again. Right. Because I I can't guarantee that there isn't somebody at that table who has had that experience. Hmm. There are stories everywhere. And I just want to make sure that we engage those stories without just trying to manufacture the Jesus moment. Yeah. Because if you manufacture the Jesus moment, I, you want to talk about stuff you'll see on my site. Um, the one, one thing that has, has firmly established what we call uh, the no preaching rule. 
uh, is that we won't we won't preach to you about Jesus unless you know it's coming. It doesn't mean we don't talk about God. It doesn't mean we don't talk about Jesus or the gospel. It means that unless it's a natural outpouring of our conversation, we won't manufacture it. And a lot of that has to do with uh, a framework that I established, oddly enough, from two points. One is a, con a conversation I had with a dear friend of mine who still isn't a person of faith, and I don't know if he ever will be, but I'm going to keep talking to him about it. And the other one is from a movie that was based off of a play. The conversation I had one time was when at, shortly after I got saved, I was going nuts. I was just telling everybody about Jesus. I need to tell people about Jesus because I just discovered him. And oh my goodness. And at one point I, I talked to my friend and I said, look, I'm, you hear this a lot because we hang out a lot. Um, if I ever get annoying, just tell me to stop. And he looked at me and he said, I would actually be angry if you didn't. I would be angry if you didn't tell me these things because one, that would mean that one of two things are true. Either you don't actually believe what you're talking about or you don't care enough about me to tell me about it. That had a big uh, impact on me because it should be about just caring about people, not just, you know, Jesus tote boards. It should be, it should be something that happens from the expression of just our care for each other. And the other thing is from a movie called The Big Kahuna. And it's an, it's an amazing, weird little movie um, about two salesmen and a guy from, from research and development that's gone to this uh, trade show. And their whole, jo their whole job is to find one guy and sell him on their product, which happens to be industrial lubricant. And I won't go into the whole plot line, but things don't go the way they want to because the guy from R&D is the guy who gets in touch with this this person that they're supposed to talk to and instead of talking about what they're there for he ends up talking about Jesus hmm. and this old you know tired salesman played by Danny DeVito looks at him and said you talking about Jesus is no different than Larry talking about industrial lubricants the moment you take a conversation, you grab hold of a conversation and you twist it, it's no longer a conversation. It's a marketing pitch. Hmm. And you're no longer a human being. You're a marketing rep. And I realized that I know for me, I had spent a lot of years manufacturing Jesus. And it, it, we turned the gospel into a timeshare sales pitch. Come play these games. Come do this. Come, you know, watch this. Come talk to this baseball legend. Come do whatever. Oh, and by the way, there's also going to be a 25-minute discussion about <laughs> Jesus. Right. We don't put that on the poster, but it's there. And I realized that that's what we were doing. We were manufacturing Jesus moments. Mm. I felt, I felt wrong after a while because I, I want this to be more than a sales pitch. If I sell you on Jesus, all you're going to do is eventually find another product that does what you want better. If I, if I show you how you can enter into the story that Jesus is telling, if you can meet him and see him, touch him and experience life with him, that's different. And so that's what I want to see happen. I want this to be a, an expression of God is everywhere. 
whether I put him there or not. Hmm. One of the, the hardest things for me to hear is when people who aren't gaming hear what we do and say, oh, I'm so glad you're bringing Jesus into that dark hmm. place. Yeah. And I'm like, Jesus has been here long before we showed up. There are designers, there are people, there are, are players, there are storytellers, there are, there are all these people, all of them don't leave their Jesus at the door long before we, long before any of us established formal ministries to gaming, to the gaming world, God was already here. God was already working. The number of people that like people always cite like the satanic panic and how, you know, people want to say that D and D is evil. I'm like, do you have any idea how many people in the creation of Dungeons and Dragons are people of faith? Cause it's a yeah. lot. It's a lot. Like we're not diving into the darkness. We are, are stepping in with Jesus and saying, what are you doing here? We want to be a part of it. And that's what I want to see happen with, with fandoms in general. Like, I don't want to manufacture Jesus in fandoms to, to grab the kids, you know, talking about their fun thing. I, I want them to, to see that, that God is everywhere by me pointing him out, not by, by like holding up a cardboard cutout and see, see, here's Jesus. Right. Yeah, I think that's I think that's an, a great point and a, a good way to kind of bring us back to what you were very first talking about with inroads is that it is a it's a stance of humility, it's a yeah. stance of openness and and saying that you're not the be all end all, uh, and that we as as these nerd ministers are not the be all end all. We're not doing work that hasn't already been being done. Like you mm -hmm. said, Jesus is already in this place. God's already in this place. Uh, and so staying humble, staying open, trusting God. I feel like that's been a running theme, and uh, and that's it's awesome. It's something that I think we all need more of. Yeah. Uh, no matter where our, our sphere of influence to, to use, you know, big buzzwords, no matter where your sphere of influence is, you have to realize that it's God. You're just along for the ride and we should all be thankful that he allows us to be part of it rather than say how, how, you know, it's our thing. And so I think that's, that's a good note to end on of, of a challenge a challenge for the future leaders, a challenge for the next 10 to 20 years of whatever this looks like in, in faith and pop culture to remain humble uh, and to, to, to remain in this space and to make sure we're not manufacturing, but rather trusting in the process that God has laid before us. Well, as we usually do, um, when we wrap this show up, I, wanna, I want to know, so what are you currently doing so that people can maybe get some recommendations if they haven't heard of them? Uh, the three questions are, what are you watching? Uh, mm -hmm. It can be a television show, a movie, whatever. Uh, what are you playing? It can be a board game. It can be a video game, any game. And then what are you reading? And uh, another caveat, that can also be an audiobook because we've had people ask if that counts. <laughs> and it certainly does. It, certainly it does. does. It's still the same text. It's just somebody else is reading it in your ear. Right. Um, reading is the easiest. Uh, reading is Norse Mythology by Neil Gaiman. Awesome. Uh, I have always been a fan of Norse Mythology, just the stories that are there. Because it's not it's not like any other mythology that I've read. Like these stories are weird and in the the best of ways. I think that that uh, Neil Gaiman does an amazing job so far. I'm still working through it, but he does a really good job of taking these elaborate stories that are are tossed across multiple uh, eddas 
and and makes them into something that's really easily readable and accessible and I'm super super enjoying that experience. I'm just a huge fan of gaming period. Sure. What I'm playing lately is I probably the best thing I would say would be that I have been there's a website called Board Game Arena. And if you don't know what Board Game Arena is in these times, I mean things are opening up again, but until everything gets full open you need to know about Board Game Arena. Uh, it's just an, a a, plat- a free browser-based platform where you can play all manner of board games. There's there's a lot on there. Some are behind a paywall, but that paywall is literally twenty five bucks for a year. Wow! And only one person needs to have the premium account. <laughs> the person starting the game needs to have the premium account. So there's that. Um, lately, the most co- there are two games that I've been playing the most. And that is The Crew and Beyond the Sun. Two incredibly different games. The Crew is interesting because it's a it's a trick-taking game, which if you've ever played Hearts or Spades or anything like that, you know how to play a trick-taking game. But it's a cooperative trick-taking game. You are trying to accomplish missions, and each mission is different, but like a lot of them are this person has to get this card first. And then this person gets this card and then this, and so on and so forth. So you have to plan how to make your plays so that that specific person has that specific card. But here's the thing. You can't just say, oh, I've got this card. Everybody make sure you're not playing that. You, like, you can't <laughs> talk like that. The only thing you can communicate is you can put one card out per round or per, per mission and say... I have this card and you can either say it's the highest card I have of that color. Hmm. It's the lowest card I have of that color, or it's the only card I have of that color. And you can only do that once per mission. Hmm. And you're trying to orchestrate getting everybody the thing they need in the, in the order that they need it. That game is fun but also can be incredibly frustrating because because of the fact that you can't communicate you're like oh you just i well we're losing this round (laughs) (laughs) uh the other one is called beyond the sun and the the theme of it is that you are literally designing the technologies to send humanity into space and it's giant. It's a giant tech tree. If you're familiar with video games, you know what a sure. tech tree is. Most games will be like the tech tree is part of the game. Mm-hmm. Beyond the Sun asks, "What if we just make the tech tree the game?" And it's really interesting. I don't know if I'd say it's my favorite game. I think I would like it more if I was around the table with people. But it's still an interesting puzzle. It's been really. And I'm playing it with guys who love it. So I've never won. I get crushed. Because <laughs> the one guy is like, this is my favorite game. I'm like, oh, I'm done for. <laughs> but but it's still it's still interesting to see what plays get made, how they do it. It's it's still a lot of fun. I, I enjoy it. And uh, what was the other, what I'm watching? What are you watching? Yeah. Let's just say it. Uh, I have a toddler. And which means that most of my TV watching is toddler based. You sure? Most of that is frustrating. Uh, however, there is one shining light uh, among the throng, and that is Bluey. 
Mm, I've heard good things. I have heard good things about Bluey. Bluey is an Australian cartoon. You can, as far as I know, you can only get it through Disney. I have it on Disney Plus, but it's annoyingly Disney Plus is like the last. Like it's on the TV show, then it's on Disney Now, then it goes to Disney Plus. I'm like, ah. But uh, they just released season two on Disney Plus. It's a story about about this family of dogs, but they're it's it's one of those things like like, like everybody is a dog, but it's all personified. Hmm. So like uh, the mom and dad are Chili and Bandit, and and Bandit is an archaeologist, and Chili I can't remember what Chili's job is, and they have two girls named Bluey and Bingo, and it is just the most adorable show ever. Like it's just fun to watch these kids be silly. Like a lot of it is just watching like little kids play. It's pretty much what it is. But at the same point, they bust out like some like I I literally teared up mm-hmm. on one episode I was watching with my son this morning before we recorded. Like I teared up because there's one where Chili is there with her dad, and uh, her dad she, she goes in saying that that you know Granddad has to rest because he just had heartworm. Because remember they're all dogs. Sure. And uh, the the whole thing is that Granddad doesn't want to rest, so Granddad is running around with the girls. But at one point, uh, they're hiding, and Chili says, um, Granddad needs to take care of himself for me, because hmm. I still need him. And I'm like, I'm literally, like, bawling <laughs> as I'm sitting here next to my three-year-old going, eh, having just traveled to New Jersey, like, six-plus hours to go see my dad in New Jersey, who just had a stroke not that long ago. Hmm. I am bawling. Yeah. <laughs> And, and so it really is, it's this great show that is, the humor is really interesting and fun and silly, but in that, not in an annoying way, but it's just in a silly way. Uh, I aspire to be the kind of dad that bandit healer is in this show. Like it's really, really good. It's way better than any kid's show has a right to be. <laughs> yeah. I've heard really good. They've been all over TikTok. I feel like they've been, uh, I putting little clips. I haven't... I haven't yeah. seen it, but I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, it's it seems like a real heart wrencher. I'm kind of in the same vein. I just finished watching uh, a new anime on Netflix called Eden. Uh, and I I saw an ad for that that made it yeah. look really interesting. It's pretty short. It's only four episodes. I finished the fourth episode this morning and might have cried through it. Uh, just heart wrenching when they get it's the it's the dad role. I'm also a dad of a toddler, and so anytime it's a dad, there's something about like oh, yeah. that, that dad energy that just like. I love my dad. I love myself as a dad. I love my daughter. Like there's this weird tension that happens and it just, it hits you and it really yeah. gets you, it gets you right in the heart. Uh, I am playing um, a game called rise Eterna, which is a fire emblem knockoff on the switch. Okay. And it's pretty okay. I, it's nothing to write home about, but it's, it's a game and I like, I like RTS. And sometimes so getting you into just it, need, sometimes yeah. you just need that game. Exactly. It's it's one that uh, the writing is kind of rough. I don't know if it's a translation issue, but the, the gameplay is very much RTS, just like Fire Emblem, very fun. And then reading, um, I'm almost done with Ask Mr. Iwata, uh, which is the book on Nintendo's um, Satoru Iwata. Uh, right. And just talking about his, you know, experience with Hal, and I'm to the part now where um, Miyamoto is like, not yeah, Miyamoto is is uh, reflecting on his relationship with Iwata, and so that's super fun and super interesting reading through those. So, yeah, there's definitely a lot out there, and I always appreciate this time because I get to learn about new stuff, and I'm very interested in those games. I am on Board Game Arena, but I haven't really 
explored it to its fullest. So I, I'll, I'll have to check some of them out on there. My, my, my personal favorite, if you're looking for my favorite game on Board Game Arena, I haven't looked recently, but I would say it's probably Abyss. Hmm. Which is this, like, the theme is going to sound really weird. Like, the Lord of, of the Ocean has died, and you're basically doing the political scheming to get people on your side to name you the next Lord of the Abyss. Hmm. Um, it's basically a card game, but it's a really interesting and absolutely gorgeous card game. It's really fun. Very interesting. Cool stuff. Well, I appreciate the recommendations and I appreciate your time. Uh, the final thing, just another shout out, just remind people, uh, you know, wh where are you on social media in inroads? It's inroadsministries.com. Remember Perfect. that's two ends. Uh, inroadsministries.com will have everything on it. If basically, if you go on a social media, if you type in inroads, if we're there, that's what we are. <laughs> if, if, if you don't get it, cause we're not on that one. Hmm. Um, we try to keep things pretty simple. Uh, I'm most active on Twitter and Instagram as far as social media. Uh, I'd love to get more stuff out there on like videos. And I, there are people who want me to do a TikTok. I just, I <laughs> maybe at some point I'll do that, but I don't have that yet. But yeah, inroadsministries.com is where you'll find most of this stuff. You can also find us, you, you can find it on that website, but you can also go, if you're on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash groups slash game store profits. Uh, again, the link is on our website, but that's called, uh, we recently just renamed it cause we were sick and tired of everybody trying to join our group thinking that they're actually the local bar. Mm. Uh, so it used to just be the tavern. Uh, it is now the wandering bard tavern and, uh, yeah, that's where we basically just hang out on the internet. It's my favorite group of nerds on the internet. So awesome. Well, super cool stuff. Thanks again, Mike, for your time and for joining us. We really appreciate you being here on the podcast. Absolutely. It was a blast. All right. And that is a wrap on the latest episode of Nerds of Prey. Folks, I really hope that you enjoyed the podcast. This show is distributed free of charge and worldwide, but we would love your support and help by giving us a five-star review and sharing the episode around to your friends so that we can reach as many nerds, geeks, and gamers as possible. Be sure to go and follow our special guest, Mike Perna, using all the links in the show notes. Give him some kind, encouraging words for the great stuff that Inroads is doing. If you enjoyed this discussion and want to talk more about it, hey, feel free to join the Checkpoint Church Discord. We have a channel where we talk about this exact kind of stuff. So, Hey, get into that. Not to mention that this episode did actually premiere live on our Twitch channel. So be sure to follow twitch.tv slash Checkpoint Church to catch the next episode and discuss it live as it happens with the viewers. Our next episode will drop three weeks from today and will feature a talk on accessibility with Heather Moore from Accidental Tomatoes. Look forward to that. And thanks again for giving us a listen. If you have any recommendations or maybe you'd like to be considered as a future guest on this podcast, submit your name and biography to checkpointchurch at gmail.com. Nerds of Praise recorded, edited, produced, and distributed by Nathan Webb and Checkpoint Church. The Checkpoint Church podcast is the hub for all of our podcast sermons and special projects. To learn more, go to CheckpointChurch.com or send questions to CheckpointChurch at gmail.com. Remember, we believe three things to be true about every single one of you listening, regardless of where you might be with God. We firmly believe that number one, God loves you. Number two, we love you. And number three, you matter. That is all for this one. I have been Nerd Pastor Nate, and this has been the Nerds of Prey. Special thanks again to our special guest, Mike Perna. Until next time, folks, bye-bye!